0: For three decades, Baker Hostetler has hosted its annual legislative seminar among the premier public policy showcases on Capitol Hill. If you've attended this event in Washington, you know the legislative seminar is a power packed forum where attendees hear firsthand from leading officials in the nation's capital, including vice presidents, house speakers, leading senators, committee chairs, and rank and file lawmakers. The legislative seminar will be in person once again in 2023. But this year, Baker Hostetler is transforming the legislative seminar into an informative podcast series. Each week, our federal policy team leader, former Congressman Mike Ferguson, and former Congressman Heath Shuler, a senior advisor at Baker Hostetler, will be interviewing members of the House and Senate, both Democrats and Republicans, on the latest action on Capitol Hill. I'm Leanne Lee, and you're listening to Baker Hosts. Today, Mike and Heath are talking with Senator Shelley Moore Capito. Let's listen in.
1: Hi, I'm former Congressman Mike Ferguson, the leader of Baker Hostetler's Federal Policy Team, which provides our clients with federal government affairs, consulting, and lobbying services. Welcome to our 33rd Annual Legislative Seminar this year as a series of podcasts. I'm joined, as always, by my former colleague in Congress and my current colleague here at Baker Hostetler, Heath Schuler. Heath is a former Democratic congressman from North Carolina. I'm a former Republican congressman from New Jersey. Heath, the conventional wisdom is that Congress doesn't pass big things in an election year. That may be the case in 2022 this year, but this could also be a year when that mold is broken.
2: That's right, Mike. Uh, Democrats who run Congress are still working on a slimmed down package for tax increases, changes in how Medicare uh, pays for prescription drugs and climate change policy. Uh, There's also a bipartisan effort on gun safety, uh, legislation on strengthening U.S. competitiveness with China and bolstering uh, domestic uh, semiconductor manufacturing. That's a full agenda. Um, made complicated not only by policy differences of the two parties, but also because it's only five months away from the midterm elections. Uh, Fortunately uh, for us, uh, we have a leader uh, in the Senate who also served with us in the House, uh, who will take us into the middle of these debates and help us make sense of it all. That's right.
1: We're grateful to have with us a great friend and a great senator, Shelley Moore Capito. Senator Capito is a Republican from West Virginia. She's in her second term in the Senate. She served for 14 years in the House with us. Before that, she is now the top Republican on the Environment and Public Works Committee. And Senator Capito also has senior positions on the Commerce Committee and on the Appropriations Committee. So she's she's in the middle of all of these key debates that are going on this summer. Shelley, Heath and I are honored that you could be with us today. Welcome. Thank you.
3: Well, thank you, Mike and Heath. It's good to hear your voices and to reconnect. I enjoyed certainly serving in the House with both of you. So I'm, I'm really excited to get into some what's going on here in, in the Senate and what, what we see over the horizon.
1: Well, you know, you're, you're on the conference committee trying to hash out this legislation that promotes U.S. competition with China and the uh, semiconductor manufacturing that Heath was just talking about. The so-called USICA legislation. I, I know the hope was to complete that by the Fourth of July. Seems that that might be unlikely now. What what's your sense of where this is going to come out? How, you know, is this going to get stripped down into some core provisions, or uh, what's the what's the process and the timing now for this legislation? There are a lot of folks following this?
3: Well, it is a massive undertaking, and I think to frame it, the the bill is to basically make our country as competitive as we possibly can be in all aspects of research and development and science and technologies and manufacturing to really hold back what we see as China's advancing not just capabilities, but also their ability to buy with their government funds a lot of technologies. And so what we're trying to do is bring a lot of that manufacturing back home. I mean, we see, and 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 certainly everybody sees uh, when they go by a car lot, they see how few cars there are, are on the car lot, new cars. Why is that? Well, that's because we can't get the semiconductors that are absolutely critical, hundreds of them, in the individual automobile. And we we when we turn around and look at ourselves, and we've done this a lot, we we realize that we've let that manufacturing business go to Taiwan and over into China, and so. That's really the driver on this is the semiconductor manufacturing piece because it it you know it's not just cars it's phones it's 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 everything security uh, all kinds of technologies use chips and so it's but you know like everything and you guys can laugh about this it sort of morphed into a much bigger prospect into workforce development so that our workforce can can meet the needs of tomorrow's economy and but we were able to get. 18 Republicans to vote uh, yes to advance this American technology and innovation piece. What happened was it went to the House, and it just got loaded up with Green Climate Fund and other kinds of um, extraneous and very large and costly issues that, are, that would lose support in the Senate. So I, I see the options. I'll, I'll say this. The conferees are working very hard to try to reach a consensus, uh, to uh, take out some of the extraneous things and to um, compromise on some of the things that we didn't agree with or the approach that we took. Um, but it's, I think it's, uh, it's, it's turning out to be a lot bigger task than I think one would have thought. So we could, there's a couple ways we could go about this. We could not get the whole thing settled, which is looking like that might be the issue, or we could carve something out like the semiconductor piece, the CHIPS Act, it's called, to move forward on where our more, more urgent area is. Now, I'm not ready to give up on the science and technology because I want to see us become the innovators of the future and the, and the best competitors in our next workforce do that. But sometimes, as you both know, things get so big, they become cumbersome, they can't move, and you have to end up skinning them down to... A, a point at which both sides can at least agree to that. And and I have a feeling that's where we're going to end up because it's get it's getting bogged down right now. There's no way we complete this by July fourth.
1: Yeah, Shelley, when is the sort of fish or cut bait moment for that? You know, election year, it's hard. Certainly if you get past the August recess into the fall, it seems like just about nothing would happen. So do you think there's a chance to get this maybe more slimmed down package done before the August recess?
3: Well, I think we could, uh, yes, because I think the original goal was to do it before the July 4th recess, but you see that's definitely not going to happen. I think that uh, the other thing we have kind of cooking are all the appropriations bills in July, but that will probably leave that to September. So I think really July's probably the end of July before the August recess is going to be the Fisher cut bait date.
2: Well, Senator, I know this that uh, the American people is very grateful that you're a part of this discussion. Because when serving with you, I know how much respect you garnished on both sides of the aisle. Uh, Being a Democrat, Mm -hmm. oftentimes I remember in 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 caucus, we would your name would be brought up, and just the respect level across the board that uh, that you 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 brought forth and the uh, the character and integrity that you know that uh, it's kind of really lacking in Washington so we're grateful to have you on this uh, call and certainly glad that you're a part of this discussion you know and you know if you look at everything that's going on there's so much policy that needs to pass and you're right when it gets over the house they kind of put everything that they their wish list on every piece of policy every member's trying to to add their policy to take back home with them and in the reality, sometimes we just need to, you know, pass the legislation to kind of move us forward. Uh, you know, more uh, scaled down effort, the way you guys had done in the Senate. You know, one of those, an example of those, is what happened early on uh, this year. Your senator in the how uh, in the Senate, obviously, is uh, Senator Manchin, and he has actually done. You know, he kind of held pretty tight when it comes to you know the Build Back Better and how he was going to be able to to vote and what he would vote for, what he would not. Uh, what he had, why he was voting against it. I mean, do you see any movement on Build Back Better? It seems like it's actually gotten kind of quiet and uh, nothing kind of going on. And, you know, I mean, do you think that that's just kind of dead in the water now that your colleague uh, in West Virginia basically told the Democrats no?
3: Well, actually, Heath, good question. And thanks for the nice comments. I'll say I don't think it's dead. And uh, I think you you guys will understand this. And so will those who are listening you know, we're, we're right into the heat of the political season. I mean, yes, November seems like it's far away. But as you know, people leave and go home in August to really set the stage of their, of their fall campaigns even more so. And so as you look at the president and his party, they're really flailing right now under the weight of inflation and supply chain issues, the, you know, Afghanistan, the southern border. I mean, it just seems like you know things are loading up on them and and you know i can remember and mike will remember too It was we were as republicans under uh president bush when you're trying to campaign into a negative environment it's tough and heath you probably know that as well and and yes. so i think that the one opportunity for the democrats to sort of pull a rabbit out of a hat is this reconciliation package that expires on september the 30th so you've seen Signs from Senator Manchin that he's back in the fold, trying to negotiate something, and that tells me he's less less worried about taxes. Uh, that that's not he's more uh, worried about creating a new government program that goes on forever that would, you know, maybe create more inflation. And so, so we're sort of at cross purposes, quite honestly, because we have. Uh, Senator Cinema, who is also a big player in this, her her main issue is is the taxes. So they're kind of at, at odds with one another. So I, I wouldn't declare this, you know, nothing other quite dies on, on Capitol Hill. I think they could go for a scaled down version of Build Back Better with the green energy and raising taxes to show that with a president, a House and a Senate, We're not going to leave our opportunities on the table so that people can take that into the election. Um, And I think that's what's driving this, along with, I think, Senator Manchin's desire to be a part of uh, the action, so to speak, so that he can he can. I think he's had last week two meetings with Senator Schumer uh, that were well publicized. And, And I think he likes to be in the middle of it. And this puts him in the middle of it.
1: Do you see prescription drugs as a part of that too, Shelley?
3: Could be, Mike. That's another <laughs> one that Mansion talks about. And, and honestly, I think that would probably be the old argument we always heard is that uh, Medicare can negotiate prices like the VA does. Remember, we had that argument many times when we created the prescription drug plan in the early 2000s. That was an argument. I think it very well could be. It's a pocketbook issue for a lot of people. Right. And uh, it's something that we've never touched as effectively as as what a lot of people think we should.
1: Yeah. You know, you mentioned inflation and, you know, it's on everybody's minds, of course, not just those who are paying higher prices, but certainly anybody on the ballot this year is thinking about inflation and how that may impact their their races. You know, you you represent a, a key energy producing state. You're an expert on energy policy. Um You know the the White House has been blaming high energy prices on, you know, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, or in some cases the oil companies, and and then the the critics of the White House say it's too focused on their climate goals. You mentioned uh, climate uh, policy as perhaps being a part of that Build Back Better, Slim Down package that uh, that might still have life in it. How how does how, how does the administration balance its climate goals with trying to boost energy production or bring down those prices that everybody's paying at the pump right now.
3: Well, I think they're slow to the slow to react. I think the president uh, is slow to react, has been slow to react in his administration on, on the gas price issue. I mean, this is one of those uh, people see this every week because they're filling their, ga- their cars up and they don't have electric vehicles and probably won't for 10, 20 years. Uh, and so um, I think that, um, and it hurts, you know, if I'm from rural America, if you're, you know, rural North Carolina or New Jersey, if you're driving everywhere to get anywhere. And, uh, and so it really hurts. I, I just don't understand how the White House, I think they've kind of set their marker down by canceling the Keystone Pipeline right away, which tells right. you, you know, we don't, we, we don't want fossil fuels and we're not going to build the infrastructure to carry it. Yet the president goes to you know Germany and says, we're going to send more LNG. Well, you can't send LNG if you can't get the pipelines out to the LNG terminals to do it. And that's a problem. We have a lot of Marcellus shale development in West Virginia. That's a problem for us to get our product to the LNG terminals because we're a newer shale development than, say, Texas or, or Louisiana. And so I think that... Uh, the administration has tried things like, you know, releasing more oil from the strategic petroleum reserve, which has had no effect. They have tried to, you know, blame Putin, and and then last week it was go after the big oil companies, and and one of the big oil companies came back quite frankly with a laundry list of things that said, "You want more refining capacity? You know, you need to help us." And some of that is uh, opening up uh, some of the regulatory burdens and other things that have been slow to, to move through the system. And you know that's one way to slow walk things is one way to stop it and uh, through the regulatory system because the investors will leave. And, and, and sometimes uh, I wonder if that's the plan, if, if that's the plan to, to um, slow walk any kind of new pipelines or, or refining capacity or um, CCUS projects or anything of that nature to stop them really, because uh, they, they don't want them at the beginning. But they you know, this gas tax, this is another topic that's come up. He said the president said, oh, well, maybe we'll send everybody you know a gas uh, card uh, or the gas tax. You know those are all band-aid kinds of arrangements that I don't think get to the root problem. The root problem is we have we don't have enough supply. And there's too much demand and we could have much more supply if they take the reins off and let us go more into federal lands. And, you know, for people listening, they go, oh, all she wants to do is drill, baby drill. You know, these are all within the parameters of the environmental process that we are very careful about here in our country. Wouldn't we rather have that occurring here than elsewhere in in the world where you really would be creating more of an environmental hazard?
2: Well, Senator, I couldn't agree with you more. I think th- so often that we just get kind of uh, off on, on different tangents and paths and start looking ahead. And, you know, that we talked about semiconductors in the beginning about, you know, we allow that to go overseas. You know, now we're talking about all of our natural resources, per, you know, asking other countries to provide so much of that from us. And we have so many opportunities here in the U.S. Is there anything else that you can kind of look at and kind of whether it be because of the pandemic? Uh, to be able to recognize during that process or even the baby food instance? Are there other things that, that uh, you know, once you become chair that you'll look at and say, let's take a step back and see the things that we truly need to start producing in the United States and realize that if we don't produce it here, that we're going to be dependent on on another nation. And oftentimes that, dep- you know, being dependent upon that, it it's, it's actually has a direct impact to our economy here in the U.S. And I just don't think personally that that's the right path that we should be going down, that we should start producing things here. Are you going to look at other things besides semiconductors and, and, and even you know, our natural resources, That other things that we can start producing here that's a, of a great benefit to us and won't cause our economy to crash the way it has been?
3: Right, I mean, I think you're bringing up a really good point, and during the pandemic, it really came home because, you know, we couldn't get the masks. Why? Well, they're all made in China. Well, why? Why can't we get them from China? Well, China needs them. Uh, you know, you couldn't get the solvent for the testing materials because they're in it's they're produced in Italy or something. The swabs are produced elsewhere. You know, we've got to bring this manufacturing. I think we've realized, and we're using our health. Uh, emergency to really bring some of these uh, healthcare care uh, items back and also have a strategic reserve of those. And I think mean, that makes a lot of sense. You know, transparency is always a key. We always say what sunlight is a, is a good way to get better results. And, and so I think, you know, as we look at this, one of the dark clouds I see coming over the horizon is this workforce issue. I mean, everybody I talk to says they can't get enough workers. And they can't, you know, if you're on a vacation, you, there's not enough, you know, half the restaurants aren't open, or they're only open for a shorter period of times. In manufacturing, you know, they can't run another shift because they can't find somebody else. Even, even into the professions of accounting and others, there's, everybody's running short. And, and so we're sitting here and recognizing there's a problem, but what are we really doing about it? And I think this is where our community colleges and our career and technical colleges can use their flexibilities to really move the, uh, the workforce or the education system towards the workforce better. We can use Pell grants and other kinds of opportunities for people to be able to pay for this, so that you know there, it's it's no un, you know it's it's not a difficult burden. I mean, mostly Pell grants are used for four years, but maybe we should look at certificate programs. Uh, and others that where uh, a year will get this person set for life if they learn a skill that is in such demand. Uh, so the workforce issue, I think, is something that we need to focus on a lot. I think also there's a whole aspect of that of, um, you know, I was thinking about it over the weekend. You know, the, the first time I ever worked was at a, a recreation, a county recreation, summer recreation program. It was eight weeks. And, you know, I had to get up, go to work, play with the kids and get hot and and come home when I was finished. You know, the, the, the pattern of work is something that we need, you know, we don't see these youth programs like we used to see. So I think that's another thing that our states could be doing. But I think the transparency issue is the one that we need to hit on. What are we really focusing on? And are we letting our political philosophies overtake what our more practical needs might be?
2: Well said.
1: Shall you spend a lot of time, obviously, on the Environment and Public Works uh, Committee jurisdiction because of your leadership role there? But you have some you have some other pretty important committee assignments. Mm-hmm. You and I served on the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House, and I know you're on the Commerce Committee in the Senate now. And uh, Senator Wicker, the the top Republican on that committee, uh, released a a draft uh, bill on data privacy. And there's I know some bipartisan folks in the house who are interested in, in pursuing that legislation. What, uh, do you like that bill, Senator Wicker's bill? And, and what, what, what do you see happening with that legislation? Is this the year when a data privacy bill could pass?
3: I can tell you, we have had numerous hearings on this issue because it is very complicated. I think that uh, we need to have more hearings because it, it, wherever, it, as in anything, there's a push and a pull. If you protect data, uh, overprotect data, then you're not, you know, you're disallowing for certain other aspects of personal and individual development and data. You know, what do you do with it when you get it? Is it, you know, who's covered? You know, can, are children being targeted? I mean, these, we've gotten into all of this and I'll be honest with you, Mike, we We've had it looks like bills are going to come together, and then they just fall apart because of the massive, broad reach of this. I don't see us doing it this year. I just think it's it's still unformed. You see, um, you know, certain things like Twitter doing something, or then Facebook, and then uh, your health records, and it, it, it's. Uh, I don't think we've hit the sweet spot yet on what could actually protect data and protect our privacy sufficiently without having some counter effects that may not be beneficial to individuals. I mean, I know that's kind of a punting way to answer that, but I just, I'm trying to get to the complexity of it, describe it. And, uh, you know, maybe more innovation as it comes forward is going to help us as we move forward in this.
2: Well, Senator, one of the things that, uh, President Biden, uh, uh, Kind of talks us some of the biggest accomplishments been the bipartisan infrastructure investment uh, uh, that passed early. you know how do you how do you see that plan a part of you know within the state of West Virginia and beyond?
3: I'm really excited about the infrastructure bill. I mean we I was very integral in developing it and making sure that it was moved through the Senate. We were able to get a nice bipartisan win there. I mean, new bridges, new roads, safety, modernization, highways, broadband into rural America, you know, uh, hardening the grid, moving towards uh, more resiliency either and, and, and even uh, climate issues in terms of uh, environmental or, excuse me, electronic vehicles. Um, so I think it's, it's a broad reach. You know, this, these, these infrastructure bills are always jobs bills. That's why I wanted to keep it just a physical infrastructure. We're already seeing the dirt flying in our state. Water systems are going to be the benefit of this, both on the drinking water and on the wastewater side. So it's, it's massive, it's, uh, and it's exciting. Here's my worry. Things are getting more expensive. Permitting is slowing. We have a challenged workforce. So we're running into headwinds here of where, where I'm concerned that we might not get as much bang for the buck as we thought with that bill.
1: Well, Senator Shirley Moore Capito, Heath and I both know how incredibly busy you are. I know we've only touched on a few of the many issues that you are working on on a daily basis, and we are really grateful to you for taking the time to join us on this uh, Baker Hostetler podcast today.
3: Um, It's my honor. It's great to be on with both of you, and let's continue the conversation. Thanks so much.
1: We look forward to that. Thank you. Heath, this has been a great discussion. I know I learned a lot, and it's great to hear from somebody who's involved in so many of the key issues that are being debated and worked through on Capitol Hill. Thank you for joining us on this uh, 33rd Annual Baker Hostetler Legislative Seminar this year as a series of podcasts. For my good friend and colleague, former Congressman Heath Schuler. I'm former Congressman Mike Ferguson. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you, Senator Capito, Mike, and Heath. If you have any questions for Mike and Heath, their contact information is in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit bakerlaw.com.